Speaking of anthropology, my name's Dylan, and today I have a very special episode for the listeners. I know I like to introduce my guests as special guests, because they are. Each of them has their own unique perspectives. Uh, but this episode is in and itself a little different in place of recording and in some of the content this episode starts uh, I guess you could say it in media res so we will start the episode in the midst of uh, the conversation um, my guest for today is uh, Kelly Lynch an undergraduate studying ethnomusicology here at UAF and uh, we will go into that in greater detail in the episode, but I figured that I would give a little bit of an introduction first before I um, cast the you listeners into the metaphorical fire, as it were, of just having a conversation without a maybe a defined beginning for you. And so the topic uh, for today is is Kelly Lynch's work largely with Javanese gamelan, although uh, aspects of ethnomusicology uh, are touched upon, as you will listen. And she was generous enough, along with another um, anthropology student in the department, um, Corbin, to play uh, some of the Javanese gamelan for us today. And so... Um, for music breaks in the episode, uh, what we will have are some of those songs that they performed uh, while we recorded. So I hope everyone enjoys this episode. It was a very interesting one to record and a very enjoyable discussion. So without further ado, uh, yeah, Kelly Lynch and Javanese Gamelan. These mallets that look like hammers. Um, they look so much like hammers that actually, if you bring one of these onto a plane, they will confiscate it. I know because it's happened. Uh, so, uh, the Fairbanks Airport had one of these for three months while I was gone this summer. They held on to it for me because I was like, that's a very expensive mallet. Well, at least you got it back then. Though, yeah, right? I, did like... get, I did get it back, but um, they are considered a weapon by... by um, where are those airport police? TSA. TSA. TSA, yes, okay. That, that. So children like to do this. Yeah, that's, sorry. No. That's like, that was like six months of your hearing just gone at the yeah. end of your life. Um, but the, you, don't, you don't whack them so hard. I, I try to teach people there's a, that's like a little too soft. So there's a, there's a special place. Yeah, you try. Yeah. And you want to play in the right spot on the bar. If you play over here, it doesn't sound good. You play in, at the end, it sounds different. So you want to play in the middle and you want to find that spot. So, yeah, we're whacking things, but um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of forearm, like, balance. I play the piano as well. Um, so I try to teach everybody to play from the shoulder because your forearm will get very tired, but there's a lot of balance in your hand in order to get just that right sound. And a lot of times when I'm playing, I'll actually 
um, keep the beat with my hand, but you'll only see me like hit once. So I'll be like. So, um, so I just, I use like my whole arm a lot. I try to like make that motion come from my shoulder and um, I try to hold the mallet in the right spot so that I whack it in the exact right place that has the most melodious sound. Um, and that's just something that comes in time and it's different for every instrument. So as our ensemble grows, um, we'll probably be able to move on to harder music and then we'll have people that will end up um, sticking to a certain instrument. And in my experience, you tend to get better at it as you play, because like when you start out, you start out a little unsure of how far, and then as you start getting play, you get into the rhythm and everything starts to come together the longer you're playing, typically. Yeah, it's not something you can learn from a book. <laughs> you really need to be like be right <laughs> here. And um, a lot of people notice, like Corbin and I met last Friday, and uh, it was really hard with just two of us in the room. You know, one of us was trying to play the drums, the other one was trying to like do the melody, we were trying to go faster because we've played a little bit more together, so we're like, okay, let's like, but it's, um, you need some, you need a buddy to like mm -hmm. look mm -hmm. over, geez, where is, what are they doing? Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like even though I don't see him, I feel what he's doing, mm -hmm. and when I get off and I, I can feel like, oh, he's over here mm -hmm. in the keyboard, I can move. I mean, I call it a keyboard, it's not a keyboard. A pianist, but um, yeah, that's our that's our basic introduction to the instruments and playing them as a group. We can move on to your actual questions too. Oh yeah, no, 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 it's fine. This is all, <laughs> this is all worth worth playing on the radio for sure. As long as you don't mind also having your voice on the radio, and then I don't a little yeah. less editing, but yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. It's fine. Anything you wanna put on the radio is fine. <laughs> All right, I'll make sure. Yeah, everyone be credited. So, if you don't mind, moving into the right. Um, so, is there anything else that you would want to play, or oh, I'll I'll talk all night, really. No, okay. no, no. Listen, those are those are some of the songs that we play. You can hear what we sound like as two people on two Belungan instruments, um, and. I'll send you like a playlist of some of my favorite gamelan music because um, to hear an entire gamelan ensemble, um, you're talking about 20 to 30 players and usually singers. Um, we do have drums here today. Our drums are actually Balinese, um, you know, because that's what I could find and the university had really strange constituents about what I could buy with an URSA grant. Really. Uh, you cannot buy anything old. <laughs> <laughs> That's a rule. I don't. I don't remember that ever being told that rule. Old is used. It had to be new. So um, when I bought these drums, they were actually weren't made. We paid for them, um, and then, and the university was like, "We're not wire transferring money to Bali." But we're like, there's no other way to do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that we had to like go to like the dean and go to the head of purchasing and get some special paperwork um, just to get these drums. So when these drums were ordered, uh, they don't have them in the shop. The guy calls up the drum guy down the street and says, "Okay, make two drums." And then they sent them to us, and it, we ordered them in June. We didn't get them till November. Mm. Um, if they're made to order though and then going through international shipping that's not 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the worst turnaround. You know, it yeah. was they and they were they were affordable in terms of the project. So um, to start off with what. I do here at UAF is I'm an interdisciplinary major um, and that means I've kind of made my own program because I study ethnomusicology mm -hmm. um, and we don't have an ethnomusicology program. Most undergraduate programs uh, do not. It's a minor you can take um, but that's usually something that you're going to pursue in your graduate studies and I work with indigenous music um, of Alaska and Canada and Sami musicians, um, usually in hip hop and rap. And that's one of my, you know, passions and one of the things that I know about. Um, but Gamelan comes in to, I wanted something to, um, I wanted to teach music in a way that didn't include um, Western ideas of music. So there's this really cool collective out in Canada. They do this great thing where they go into Cree um, communities and they teach these kids how to record their own music. And we don't have anything like that in Alaska. And um, and I think that there's there's the space for it. And we have we have enough people that would be interested to have um, children be learning music. But what I really wanted to do is to say, okay, I can teach you how to um, record your own music, make a beat, uh, edit music, like in a simple program. But what I'd really like to do is to teach in a group how to communicate through music. So um, that's where Gamelan came in. Uh, I always kind of wanted to build one. Um, I... I'm in my mid-30s now, so like when I was 20, I went to a school in Seattle, and they had a gamelan, and my uh, my teacher in composition was the head of the gamelan, so, and then my singing teacher was also in the gamelan. Um, so I was just surrounded by it all the time. I was always going to concerts. Um, we would talk about composition and singing in, like this Javanese idea because that's what they spent a lot of time doing Javanese music even though they're both classically trained musicians um, my mentor Jared Powell is he runs Gamelan Pacifica and then my singing mentor was Stefan Fondrick and he's a piano tuner actually but what he had in his house was the first set of instruments that they made in the 80s at Cornish in Seattle and they look a lot like the instruments that I have built here at UAF. Um, so they're, they're very simplistic and they're considered like student type instruments. Um, so, right, so I, that's where I kind of found gamelan. I always knew about it. I understood how it was played. I understood how it was learned and it's learned mostly by rote. Um, we do, have these pieces of paper with these little numbers on them but these little numbers are just kind of something that is the inner melody and once I see these numbers and I go okay I've got five three five two and I go okay well that's that's the book that's the belungan that's my inner melody but I know that even though I'll be playing those tones 
other people are going to be playing embellishments on that. It's called um, heterophonic music. Um, surprisingly, um, you know, Western musicians did not make that up. It's something that comes from um, a lot of. I can't. I can't speak for a lot of um, Asiatic musics in general, but there's a lot of openness of space in their musics that moves beyond what we decide is uh, our harmony system, which is up and down. Um, gamelan music moves sideways. And everybody goes sideways together, but not at the same time, and not particularly playing the same thing. So usually when people hear gamelan music for the first time, um, especially if it's a very fast song, or in the hard style. Uh, I teach mostly soft style songs because they're slower um, and easier. But uh, if you play like these hard style songs, they're going to be faster. Um, it's gonna be lots of drumming. The gongs are gonna be coming in, um, you know, and you don't, it sounds like chaos. And so until you just kind of let go of that idea of okay, I'm listening for the melody, and you just kind of listen to the sound of the gamelan, you know, then you, then you hear it. But you, you can't hear it if you're so busy, like, going, where is this going, you know? You're not going to be listening for, even though there's sections, you're not going to be listening for, um, say, in a symphony, where you have um, other parts, where you're going to have, like, your you're gonna have your introduction and then you're gonna have your development and you're gonna have your theme and then you're gonna have, you know, come back to your theme and, and you're gonna have this like sense. It just doesn't happen. So Western musicians a lot of time, you know, they're taken aback by gamelan, but. Mom, they have to go potty. gamelan structure. Um, so one of the reasons I wanted to use gamelan in rural communities through a teaching opportunity was that I felt that you could learn a lot about music without having to know how to read music, without needing a violin. Um, and sure, part of my um, project this semester is to take these up to some rural villages. Um, and when I do that, you know, I'll probably be able to like get a better sense of if it works or not, but the hypothesis is you're doing a music that requires a lot of physical learning um, and it requires a lot of community uh, involvement. You're going to be with a group of people, you have to be listening to them, you have to be communicating with them through music or, um, you know, just communicating with them after you're done. Okay, well, what were you doing? Well, what was I doing? So it requires um, such a group effort. And I saw it as parallels to a lot of the indigenous knowledge systems that I've been learning about. And I want to see if that's a better way to teach music. Because even though I bring up the instruments and they're going to have to go with me when I leave, I'm hoping that I'm leaving a sense of musical ideas that the children can build on from there. Whereas when you hand them a violin or a guitar, you're probably going to teach them about four chords or maybe three or four notes. Um, and uh, on the violin, it's not gonna sound very good. I know from experience, terrible violin player. But then you've gotta take away that instrument um, 
and I don't know how easy it can be to reapply those concepts to your own music ideas. So that's why gamelan um, in the Arctic. Which you, it, to you, you, you think that it is a more effective way of, of communicating and trying to teach I think the it's musical principles, or some at least some yeah. of the. I think the like I said, the hypothesis is that this would be a great way to teach musical principles in largely indigenous communities that work off a lot of rote learning, mm -hmm. um, learning by seeing, learning by doing, learning by listening, and I think that the reason you don't see a lot of indigenous children in our s school system. Um, you know, you don't see them in youth orchestra. You don't see them, you know, especially the one you have to pay for here. And, and you don't see them going very far because I don't think that they're being brought musical ideas in a way that they're going to connect to at an early age. Um, so my own biased opinion of, <laughs> of well, you know, it's, it's just a different, it's a different mm -hmm. way of, of learning. So this type of ethnomusicology um, that I am participating in is called applied ethnomusicology. So that means I go and play music with people. I go and experience music with people. Um, you know, I try to attend dance practices and learn Yupik songs or Nupiak songs or um, Koyokan like songs so that I'm understanding those cultures by being in them and also. I'm learning gamelan by teaching it with people. So um, I don't know very much about gamelan as far as some of many of the people who um, I know that know about gamelan, but you know, I'm kind of learning with the group. And that's why it's exciting to me to have an ensemble that's working here in Fairbanks. Um, is that as people bring me questions or they ask me things, I'm like, gee, I don't know. <laughs> so I gotta go like call somebody. I gotta email someone. Um, my mentor in Seattle has sent me some videos of drumming patterns, um, different melodies and how they're played so that I can see. Um, Cause thankfully we have so much technology that I can continue to do that even though being here in Alaska. Um, You're not wholly disconnected from the wider world of gamelan. Yeah, so. uh, another thing I'm doing is learning, uh, I'm learning Indonesian, um, just Bahasa Indonesian, not Jawa, which is what's also spoken uh, in Java, which is the biggest island in Indonesia. This is where there's many gamelans. Um, there's Balinese gamelan, there is um, Sudanese gamelan, there's a type of gamelan um, in Malaysia. Um, I happened to study Central Javanese gamelan because the people I knew, that's what they studied. So that's what I knew. That's what I hear. Um, it's not any better or worse than anything, but but that that's just what that's you just kind of where I ended up. You know, it's just like um, I do have. A, I really like Sudanese style. And um, I learned some Sudanese uh, melodies while I was in Indonesia this past winter, or you know, just a few weeks ago. So I'm hoping to uh, transcribe those, and they're not that much different. Um, the style's a little harder than the central 
Java style. So. Sauron and our smallest Sauron is the Peking so they're one octave each is one one lowest I'm middle and the Peking's the highest so all right I'll play the buka which is the beginning and then we'll run through um, a very simple version of the melody which is called the Balundum. So then, for you learning uh, Balja Indonesian, is that born out of the interest in gamelan, or is there also a wider interest in? I need to learn it in order to learn gamelan. Um, okay. Yes, I spent some time with a dictionary, and I I knew enough to kind of get by. But when you go to Java, people don't speak English. Mm -hmm. They do not speak English. They don't even try. I don't blame them. Yeah, no, fair enough. You know, there's certain places you go in the world, and yes. like, there's there might be some people who speak English, but here they they're just like, no, none of us speak English. And um, Bahasa Indonesian is not that hard to learn. Um, you know, say you want to like walk somewhere, that's Jalan, and you say, well, I'm gonna go walk somewhere, that's Jalan Jalan. Um, so a lot of plurals are like. You know, you say, oh, I like meat, is daging, you know, oh, I like lots of meats, you know, so it's like, uh, saya suka daging daging, you know, or, so you just like, you just add another word um, to say, you know, we're all going to eat lots of meat. Um, so there's, it's got lots of uh, shortcuts in it. Um, learning the basic, learning basic vocabulary, but then uh, learning the 
the structure of the sentences is helpful. A lot of times my sentence structure is terrible and people just laugh at me. They, they know what I'm saying, but they're just like, I just, that was mm -hmm. just, you just murdered that sentence. Um, but yeah, that's the reason I'm learning it is also there's lots of YouTube videos where people are um, showing drumming patterns, showing different ways to play these instruments. And um, because this is not the popular style of music in, in Java, this is, uh, this is our, it's Javanese classical music, yeah. for, for lack of a better idea. You know, uh, just like when you go to Davis Hall and there's the sea of blue-haired ladies, it's kind of the same thing when you go to a Javanese like gamelan concerts. You know, there's, it's a, it's an older crowd of people that are really interested in it. Um, and I didn't make up the sea of blue-haired ladies. I, I think that's uh, Lou Harrison came up with that. But don't <laughs> quote me on that. It was, a, it was one of my favorite favorite things that anybody ever said. I was like, oh. There is a sea of blue-haired ladies at classical concerts. What, and they're always there, you know. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's like you you dye your hair that weird blue, and then you like get season tickets to you know get really the symphony. Yeah, you um, get really into listening to Mozart. Yeah, <laughs> so um, so there's a resurgence of gamelan music. Um, you can see it in popular music to a certain extent. Um, Gamelan Awan is a band, I'll send you some of their uh, music, that they do covers of American pop songs with Gamelan, which is kind of hard to do because Gamelan is not tuned like American um, tunings. So I've, I've listened to it and it's, they kind of, they do a little stretch of the Gamelan and there's a little stretch of the tune back mm -hmm. towards the and they kind of meet in the middle. Um, but it works really well. He doesn't usually sing over the gamelan. Usually the gamelan comes in during the music breaks. Um, but he's uh, he's using gamelan, which is a classical music. He's reaching a younger audience. Um, and this and this young man is also um, singing in Jawa, which is not, which is a dialect. So there's hundreds of dialects in Indonesia. Um, Bahasa Indonesian means the language that they basically, you know, they're like, we're going to make this language. <laughs> that was the standardized they, they, register. They came up with a standardized language. So they're like, okay, no, nobody can speak to anybody, even if they're like 50 miles apart from each other. Um, but those dialects are still, you know, very important in, <laughs> in Java, and, and people still speak them. Um, and some of them are not as popular, or people don't speak them as well. Uh, just like many of our languages here in Alaska and, and throughout Canada that, um, you know, there's language resurgence, but uh, but Bahasa Indonesian is, is the English of Java, mm -hmm. you know. It's, yeah, it's the prestige dominant. It just becomes of. the standardized mm -hmm. things that yeah. way. Yeah. So I'm curious then, uh, to double back a little on your personal history, you mentioned um, that you've like always been around gamelan, or at least for a very a fairly long time now, and so I'm curious if, um, like, when that sort of germinated for you into ethnomusicology, right? Like, where was yeah the gamelan didn't really register to me as ethnomusicology because I it was such a strong influence for me. Mm -hmm. um, I 
went to college in Seattle, so I went to Cornish College of the Arts, they have a gamelan. I went to University of Washington, they have a gamelan. And gamelan is a very popular thing since the 70s to be taught in music schools for precisely the reasons that I told you I want to teach it um, in rural villages, is that you're working as a group together and you're thinking about music in different terms, you're thinking about music sideways rather than up and down. Um, and most musicians I know have taken, if they've been at a university with a gamelan ensemble, they've taken at least one semester of it, just because it does it does expand you. Most, the most popular things are, you know, introduction to world music and gamelan ensemble, or African drumming if they've got that. We another, they're just very popular musics that are taught even in places that don't have an ethnomusicology program. Um, so gamelan and ethnomusicology weren't mixed. Um, Alaskan Native music and ethnomusicology was kind of where I ended up, is that I started listening to um, I saw a video of Akumatu, which led me to a video of Samuel Johns, and then Byron Nikolai, um, so if you don't know Samuel Johns is, I don't know exactly where he's from, but he's living here, he's in Anchorage or Fairbanks, um, but he does a lot of like rap and hip hop based in his culture. Um, so then Byron Nikolai does Yupik songs and he sings them in English sometimes and in Yupik. And he, I think he did a whole album where they were in English and Yupik. Um, he's got some really great music. And so I was looking at these popular musics or these traditional musics that also had some popular ideas, um, the mix of traditional drumming and the mix of, you know, rap. Um, groups like A Tribe Called Red that were using um, northern style powwow drumming and mixing it with beats. So all of these things, that's what brought me to ethnomusicology. And that's where I was like, oh, this is cool. And I never really connected gamelan with ethnomusicology um, until like the last year. So like the Gamelan project was um, an undergraduate research grant in participatory action research. Um, it wasn't really based in ethnomusicology per se. My mentor on that was uh, Dr. Sveta Yaman Pasternak. So she's a cultural anthropologist. So, um, so that's how she and I were looking at it. And now my current URSA project um, is with Dr. Sean Topcock, and that's an education-based um, project, both with the gamelan. So, like, I'm I'm not doing anything with ethnomusicology because uh, we don't have an ethnomusicology on faculty anymore, mm -hmm. um, which is too bad. For I've never understood why. Well, you know, this is going to be on the air, and everybody knows how I feel. I, I've never understood why the University of Alaska Fairbanks does not have an ethnomusicology program or a heavy indigenous studies program with an emphasis on music and dance, because we have so many very, um, very talented, knowledgeable individuals that are already faculty, that are already staff, that are teaching these classes, but we are not 
embracing what we have here. Um, I see other programs around, you know, um, when I was looking at grad schools and, uh, you know, and they're just like, they're, they're embracing their indigenous culture and saying, wow, we can like build an indigenous studies program around this, these things. And, and we do have Alaskan Native Studies and, and they're great classes. And I just, uh, I wish that we had a lot more ethnomusicology involved in that because that's, that's where my ethnomusicology lies is within indigenous music. Mm-hmm. Um, and then gamelan happens to be Javanese music. So ethnomusicologists end up studying it. So, um, so there's, for you, it's not necessarily like a concrete hole, right, of gamelan as ethnomusicology for you personally. When I tell people I'm an ethnomusicologist, I tell them I study indigenous, um, hip hop and rap. And then I say, and, and (laughs) I built a gamelan. And people are like, I don't understand the, the correlation. And that's because there is a correlation, but it's not it's not all based on ethnomusicology. And so uh, so let's talk about what ethnomusicology is, right? Yes. Because we've been talking about it for a while. Um, ethnomusicology is a study of music and culture. It's not particularly the study of music. Um, I would consider what I'm doing with the gamelan to be musicology, which is... Uh, a study of a, a type of music and I, I am studying the effects of this music on a musical idea based in a musical education mm-hmm. now it's got some ethno ideas where I want to take it to rural villages because this gamelan is actually an indigenous art form that predates the many 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 colonialist um, you know that have come in and, and not just, you know, we're not just talking in the Dutch, we're talking, you know, Arabic cultures have just been coming into Indonesia and just like throwing all these religions and ideas after them. And, but w- the one thing that stayed is gamelan. Um, and it just, it just sticks for whatever reason. So, um, so for me, like the gamelan is like a musicology thing, mm-hmm. but the, you know, it gets thrown into ethno because it's, Ethnomusicology is a really young, um, it's a really young discipline. Uh, to realize how young it is, um, Bruno Nettle, who was one of the founders of the Society for Ethnomusicology, and one of the first ethnomusicologists in the modern sense, um, he just passed away. So, you know, this is a this is a discipline that's less than a hundred years old, mm-hmm. um, and I think anthropology has that same issue where you have you have anthropology happening but you don't have modern anthropology happening until probably around the turn of the last century right um and ethnomusicologists were anthropologists or anthropologists were ethnomusicologists because if you were studying a culture and you suddenly got ethnomusicology came about when you had wax cylinders and suddenly you know, yeah, you could record their their voices, but you could record a song. And mm-hmm. as you know, or maybe you don't know, with a wax cylinder, it is much easier to hear a song. It's much easier to hear singing than it is to hear somebody talking. So, um, so anthropologists they're going out into the field. Um, you know, Frank Boas is a is, you know, an ethnomusicologist in a, in a lot of senses. He collected a lot of songs. 
but he's not, right? He's not an ethnomusicologist. You don't call him that. But ethnomusicologists read his work all the time. Mm -hmm. He's in our canon. So... Yeah, I I guess it's maybe for a lot of folks in the wider anthropological community, it might be an odd distinction for them to draw because I know at least personally, my first introduction to ethnomusicology was in the introduction to cultural anthropology class here at UAF, right, uh, under Dr. Kester. And so that was kind of my first exposure. So it was very much as like it, an integral part, like a, a focused part yeah. of anthropology, right, not necessarily as... Right, so look at what Dr. Kester does. Um, I work with him on a, a radio show for KRFF, mm -hmm. and so I'm familiar with his work. He was working, when I first met him, he was working on songs, and he was he works in the songs of these people, but you know he's coming from a cultural sense, he's coming from a linguistic sense. He's not an ethnomusicologist, but he's doing a radio show with three other ethnomusicologists, and all of our... Um, ideas fit in together very well. Um, I think ethnomusicology, and there's been whole panels at, at the Society for Ethnomusicology, like annual meetings, you know, about how ethnomusicology is such a bad word. It's long, it's weird, mm -hmm. nobody knows what it is. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, like, I always tell people, oh, I, I study ethnomusicology, which is the study of music and culture. Mm -hmm. You can't say one. Even, although I will say, though, too, like for a lot of folks, even a field um, that's maybe larger in numbers, like anthropology, plenty of folks still don't even know necessarily what anthropology is, right? So you do, it, there is also just in some of the... It, human anthropologists you guys dig up bones right agree. you guys dig up bones that's what <laughs> that's, you do yes, <laughs> that's, yes. And that's all anybody does long time listeners know too that on the first episode of the show that was the first topic we discussed and that was the first joke that we made was yes anthropology i dig up bones nope so <laughs> and i think with ethnomusicology it also that kind of naming star right falls into a lot uh, or some of the other um areas of focus maybe or disciplines that are related to anthropology like ethnobotany right or these other kinds of studies that like developed as specializations of like the other right like the non how does the non-western society i never heard of with? ethnobotany until like this semester right mm -hmm. i was like because i'm taking the mushroom class you know and mm -hmm. i was like which is ethnomycology right yes so it's like, <laughs> so did you know that the, it's like a cross course in ethnobotany, and we have like an ethnobotany people? I was just like, mm -hmm. like who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, um, yeah. So you're right. We we have all these little like Eth subsets. Ethnobotany, ethnoastronomy is another one. Like, yeah, I've I've heard a little bit of that. Um, there's a PhD candidate here at UAF, Chris Cannon, who is doing um, ethnoastronomical work with Diné people. And so, it's yeah, kind of awesome. It absolutely is, but it falls into like what you're talking about, right? Where you have just a bunch of ethno this, that, and the other thing, and it doesn't. For some people, how, how it is that ethnoastronomy versus like indigenous studies, and mm -hmm. like why do you call it one thing versus the other? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we had a lot of problems, and actually, when I went to go talk to some uh, prospective schools, 
I told them, I have an interdisciplinary major, and it's called Applied, applied Ethnomusicology. They're like, well, that's not a real de- ethnomusicology degree. I'm like, how is it not? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, if, if you look at, like, the courses that I ended up taking, you know, there was a lot of Alaskan Native Studies. There's a lot of music, because I was a music major to begin with. And then there's some anthropology and there's some education courses. And that's what applied ethnomusicology is. A lot of applied ethnomusicologists are teachers. Um, It's a lot of pedagogy. And then, yeah, it's just, ethnomusicology starts out as like people, you know, going into the field and recording people's songs and then taking them back and making records of them and selling those records. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, or taking those, um, taking those, you know, recordings and hiding them in a vault somewhere. Um, or oftentimes, too, those recordings uh, might just get lost as well, right? They get put yeah. in the vault and then they get lost. Um, we've, I've had uh, Dr. Leslie McCartney from the Oral History Archives on the show before to talk about some of the problems with curation and that, unfortunately, the sometimes records can be scarce depending on when something was recorded, right? Like you were talking about with wax cylinders and stuff, a technology that was in usage now over a hundred years ago. So sometimes the, those kinds of our recordings, they just, no one knows where they end up. No one and knows where they end up. Yeah, they don't get recorded right. They don't, they get left in the sun <laughs> and they melt. <laughs> when you're dealing with a medium made of wax, that is, yeah. yeah. Or then too, um, you know, and that relates to issues of who then owns the rights, right? And but which if is you don't know who sang the song because mm-hmm. nobody wrote it down. Yeah, um, and that's, you know, I think ethnomusicology, especially early ethnomusicology, gets a real bad rap with a lot of that. Um, and I see scholars really working hard to, you know, uh, fix that. Um, sometimes to an almost frustrating point, but, you know, we do we do need to get in touch with these people who own this stuff and decide, you know, how we can use it. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard a Sammy woman at a pre-conference, like, in 2017. She's um, Sarah Mariel Garp, and she's a great singer and um, advocate for her, for her culture and for her traditional music. And she said something that really is always... Uh, struck me that she was there with her sister and they were presenting at this you know big presentation and and with them was a woman who had written a paper about her culture and she stood there right next to this woman and said you know I think it's great that somebody wrote a paper about this she's she's like but this shouldn't be somebody from outside our culture this should be a Sammy person Mm -hmm. (laughs) she's like we should be writing about our culture not other people and um you know that's a that's a huge thing in ethnomusicology it's always like a very tricky place to be to be outside of the culture and sometimes it's not that you forget you're outside of the culture but when you're here and you're hanging out with like everybody you know and uh going to potlatches and you're chilling in rss and like seeing all your friends and <laughs> then you like you're like, oh yeah, like, you know, this isn't my culture. So, mm-hmm. 
another really good thing that I heard from a guy that was, uh, and I'm not going to remember his name, but he's uh, in Hawaii, and I've run into him a couple of times. And um, what he, somebody asked him, you know, when you're hanging out in this culture and you're so into it all the time, and you know, you're eating with these people, you're singing with these people, and they, they treat you like family, and it's been like 20 years, like at what point do you stop being nervous about, you know, being in this culture and, you know, your viewpoints being, um, you know, trying to just keep yourself straight, like, mm -hmm. and he said, it keeps you up at night for the rest of your life. And I thought that was such a such a wonderful thing to hear that this is a man who's been working, um, you know, he's a Caucasian man from California, but he's working with these indigenous groups in Hawaii and these cultural schools for the last 20 to 30 years. And, uh, and he says, and I still think about it at night, that I am, you know, I am, I am an outsider and it's, it's not a good or a bad thing. It's just something to always remember. And I see, I see ethnomusicologists really um, understanding, questioning that and continuing to question it. And I think, uh, you know, that's something that I'm glad that we're doing. I'm glad that we're not just grabbing people's music and waving it around and um, saying, hey, look, isn't this nifty? Mm -hmm. uh, Taking it and maybe even, you know, claiming it as your own or selling it or doing those kinds of things. That Yeah, um, you know, even look at what I'm doing here. I'm, I'm taking the the music of a culture from Java and I'm taking it to another culture in Alaska. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm not a part of either of these cultures and that's something that I just, I try to keep very aware of at mm -hmm. all times. Um, but it's, it's a very tricky place for me to be. You know, it's something, I think it's one of the greatest challenges I have is to, um, to just be as respectful as possible to both of these musics that mm -hmm. I'm learning. So, yeah. Another song. Um, right now, we are Belungan instruments, the Saurons. We don't have a lot of the um, embellishing instruments, which would be the gender and um, the stringed instruments and the flute, which is the suling. So, no rebab, which is our string instrument, no suling, so we're just playing a very simplified melody. Um, and usually at the end, when there's a whole bunch of us, somebody's playing the gong. Um, so at the end of each little line, we're playing through cipher notation, um, which means we're looking at numbers and we're corresponding those to different notes here on our instruments. But um, usually the best way to keep yourself together with the group is to listen for the gong and when the gong sounds you know that you've started the next line so if you're not there you need to go there um, all right so i'll do the book on this one and we want to play it together uh sure yeah
kinds of ethical considerations right like if we are trying to do you know work with people right and trying to understand humans and human culture and human music and and such like if we were to do that devoid of ethical considerations right where would we be as a field <laughs> well we would be where we were like a hundred years ago mm -hmm. but um, with even we we have like all the modern techniques and the lack of ethics and it would just not it would not go well right it would yeah. be I think for me, it's um, there's a lot of cultural understanding, but in the way of that, I want to help people learn and teach and get mm -hmm. um, skills. Um, most of the projects that I'm involved with, um, another one I'm working on is making instruments that um, are from the place mm -hmm. that you're at. So having kids uh, record sounds and then analyze those sounds and then take those analyzed sounds and come up with a tuning system based on those sounds and then make an instrument out of junk um, and set it up somewhere so the people can play it or the wind, you know, like a giant wind chime. And, mm -hmm. um, and so that's what, you know, for me with the gamelan, like I bring in the instruments, but I'm also hoping to do longer. I'm probably only going to be able to be there for like three or four days, but I'd love to be there for two weeks and be like, look at these weird instruments I built. Would you like to build some too? Mm -hmm. um, let's get out the angle grinder and let's go. Because mm -hmm. um, I'm not a carpenter and I'm not a blacksmith. And uh, this is, I'm scared of power tools. <laughs> but at a certain point I had to pick up a, I had to pick up an angle grinder and make sparks in 20 feet in the air to, to make things happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, I haven't cut off any of my fingers yet. So. Well, so I haven't worked out my house. <laughs> there you go, then, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah. So when you want to help people, one of the other things that I see is um, one of the things I've learned is, you know, give the help that people need, not the help that mm -hmm. you think they need, or not the help that it appears that they need. You know. So uh, part of my project this spring is. Um, bringing my ideas and my lesson plans to elders and people in the community and say, what do you think? Mm -hmm. Or how can I like integrate this into your students so that they're getting what they need out of it? Mm -hmm. Because the idea of standardized education just does not, does not compute, especially in smaller communities, especially if you're going to stay in that smaller community. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think people are realizing that here, and I'd love to be a part of that, is like making things tailored to tailored to people because they are so different and unique, and that's the great thing about all of our communities here, mm -hmm. um, is that you're gonna have 
wonderfully like different things you know even just 20 miles down the river um so i don't want to show up and you know teach everybody the same thing mm. and you, you don't want to show up and tell them i know what your problem is and i know what your solution is right? yeah it's <laughs> yeah and it's, it's just um yeah what what does that make you then right <laughs> like and i and i think that that's what a lot of people who who go out um you know i i've heard i've listened i've watched things you know um I think just like ethnomusicology has grown from people um, just randomly recording people without real permission, you know, it's time to educate people with permission. Mm -hmm. And um, it's time to ask them what they want to learn before you just walk in and tell them this is what you need to learn, you know. Like, that's why I feel gamelan can be so open-ended um i can teach people to compose on this i can teach kids to improvise uh or they can learn regular you know music um i haven't quite got to the point of learning the the java songs that the guy's been translating into java the pop songs mm -hmm. but that's a way we could go too yeah. you know so like i like that i like that i could give the kids what they want because if you if you give them something that they're interested in, they're gonna retain. Mm -hmm. Whereas you know if you hand them a violin because that's what your program's for, um, maybe they don't like the violin. You know, I was gonna get my kid a violin. You know, she listens to me. She doesn't want a violin. She wants a bass guitar. I was like electric bass guitar. <laughs> I'm like I'm like a classically trained musician with mm -hmm. a cello. I'm like. But Suzuki method, but you know, maybe not. Maybe just bass guitar. You know, how bad could it be? You know, let it let them try it out and see where they go with it, right? And not try and yeah impose something specific on them. So, um, I guess as we move towards the end of the show, I'm just curious. You've you've mentioned before that this is um, it sounds like the product of two or is at least involved in two ursa projects and so would you mind discussing a little bit um right so ursa is undergraduate research student st student activities i'm yeah. we're sitting in the we're ursa si office yeah. right now for, so. for listeners we're pre-recording this in the ursa office and uh, we've talked on the show about ursa before and i still can't remember the acronym and they've given me funding myself, yeah so. I, I know right um sorry kate we're chilling in your office and we don't know what it stands for um so we are in the ursa office and that's where the gamelan's living right now um the gamelan kind of moves between the hallway and the anthropology department and the ursa office um and we we have a practice here on friday evenings um and it was two different URSA. I had a big URSA summer project, which was the basis of building the instruments, making the drums. Um, and then I had a, I've got a smaller grant for this semester. I'm gonna be going up to, I'm in contact with Arctic Village and Uniclete and uh, maybe Caltech. I'm just looking into some different <laughs> um, places, so nothing's been decided yet. If you'd like me to come to your village, call me. <laughs> I don't know if you can do that on the radio. I can't remember. There's some rules. Yeah, 
uh, I think as long as you know, they're not going to be paying you for it, I think. No, no, nobody pays me for anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think to an extent, Ursa has given you the award. Ursa, so did, that Ursa did give me money, but most of that money went to, to giant pieces of steel mm-hmm. um, and shipping. So a bunch of these were made in uh, Spokane, Washington by uh-huh. my friend. And then we shipped them back through uh, those flat rate boxes. I think we really pissed off the post office sending, like, they're in 70 pound boxes full of steel, like, wrapped mm-hmm. in duct tape. We're like, it's flat rate. <laughs> um, and they showed up, like, busted open. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. But they got here. So, uh, yeah. That's the important bit, right? Um, right. So, Ursa funding mm-hmm. and uh, lots of blood, sweat, and tears. And this is the capstone project for my degree. Um, yeah. So, so what would be then your, I know right, we've already discussed not trying to, um, you know, kind of project solutions onto, and problems on other people, but what would be your ideal outcome for this project that you're in then? just right now from what you've already done and what you already know um i'd like to get a regular group rehearsing Mm -hmm. and just for the experience of giving people the chance to learn gamelan music uh the great thing about this project is that i have already got the instruments Mm -hmm. and i've got the music and you don't really have to know much you just got to show up Mm -hmm. um and i think that that's you know and keeping it as a, a free you know, musical opportunity for people and continuing to go to schools, uh, both here in Fairbanks and rural Alaska, and um, just using it as a way to teach. I don't like to think of it as teaching world music. I like to think of it as teaching music Mm -hmm. um, because I really see it as a great way to learn about musical concepts. Um, So that's what that's what I'm working towards. Um, I've decided not to go to grad school just to stay here and work on this for another year. Um, the, uh, the ensemble's meeting here in the URSA office until May. Uh, we meet on Fridays at 5.30 till 7, if anybody wants to come. Right here, Bunnell Building, third floor, room Three. 301. 301, yes. Yes, okay. Um, you do not have to stay for the entire time if you can't make the whole hour and a half we'll be happy to have you even if you can only play for a half an hour this Last is true time it was just me and we just you left know, we, after we were done yeah. so <laughs> we just try to be there in that general area of mm-hmm. time and i i had wanted to make it too but i had a meeting next door yeah there, unfortunately that's okay you come next week i every week yeah i will i will certainly try so yeah listeners if if what we've talked about so far is interesting yeah 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 meet the meet the radio personality behind the voice <laughs> come to gamelan practice um yeah i'd love to see us just uh practicing on a regular basis maybe doing uh concerts um i would like to get some gamelan folks up here to do like maybe master classes so have them here in fairbanks and be able to get them up to uh rural areas so that's what I'd like to do. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if that happens. <laughs> Hopefully, right? So we have just a couple minutes left, so I was just curious real quick. Um, You're not going to ask me what is anthropology, is it? 
I was going to get that's the last one. Before <laughs> okay. that, the other one that I the other thing that I wanted to touch on though was your radio experiences, right? Because as you've mentioned already, you do have a it seems extensive radio right. experience, I and so so I've got a half an hour show on KRFF, with the, which is our local Athabascan radio station. That's eighty nine point one. Uh, it also gets replayed on K-Work, which is 90.9, which is another independent station. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's Circumpolar Sound and Song. And that's more of a... I think of it as more of my um, academic... Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> that's a more of an academic show where I spend a lot of time like researching an artist, researching a type of music. Um, and I do that with Dr. Paul Krejci, Dr. Susan Hurley-Glova at... Um, she's in Texas, Rio Grande now. But she was a faculty member, and Dr. Paul Krejci was a uh, ethnomusicologist, was a faculty member here as well. And then um, Dr. David Kester, who does a lot of stuff with Edelman music. So mm-hmm. it's all circumpolar regions. Everybody has different likes and different tastes. So it's a really great collaboration between four very different um, ethnomusicologists and a cultural anthropologist. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then uh, my other show was Music of the People, and that was on for two years. I'm taking a break right now. I plan on uh, rebroadcasting that show on K-Work sometime. Uh, it's usually an after-hours show. It's a lot of rap and hip-hop. Um, I focus on indigenous artists um, from all over the globe. I try to find music that sounds original, that mm-hmm. doesn't sound like somebody rapping about the reservation but they sound like Mm jay-z there's a lot of that out there if you're into it um but that's just not what you want i don't like jay-z to begin with so i don't like somebody who sounds like him Mm -hmm. um but there's a lot of really great artists out there uh drazis superman tribe called red frank walm natani means um natani means is the son of Russell Means, who was an AIM activist. Um, you know, John Trudell's got a lot of really great spoken words. Uh, I'm talking about all men. There's there's also, there's so many women out there. There's Iskwe, there's Tanya Tagak, there's um, Lido Pimenta, there's Leanne Besamoke Simpson, um, another like spoken word over beats. Just there's so much music out there and to have two hours to share that kind of Mm -hmm. music has always been um for me it's been a great way to stay in that music that i so-called study but i i just listen to it a lot so fair enough yeah no yeah i don't i don't know if um anthropology plays a lot into that larger show that i do Mm -hmm. uh just because for me, it's just spinning the records of music of people that I think should be on the radio a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it. not everything has to come back to anthropology, right? It can yes, it does. It can everything has to come back to <laughs> anthropology. Well, I'll be the heretical host of a show called Speaking of Anthropology and say not everything you do know how much college debt I have? Life. Everything is about anthropology. <laughs> <laughs> everything can be connected to anthropology, but not everything in your own personal life do you have to connect to anthropology. I think that is the best way this of putting that. This is true. That. This is true. Because anthropologists also need to have hobbies. And I'm also not an anthropologist. I'm an ethnomusicologist, which is which, totally different. As we've established for the listeners of the show, we is 
Um, study of music and culture versus bones and culture. I don't study bones either, but you know. You don't dig up bones? You, you dig up bones, right? Um, somewhat, yes. As an archaeologist, <laughs> I am the how bones. Ma- how many bones have you dug up? Uh, only a couple. I've only done like the one dig, but. Okay. Were they like uh, human last semester bones? I did a. Um, I've not done any human bones. Like, <laughs> Zoark, so animal bones. Animal bones, yeah, okay, animal okay. Bones. A lot of caribou. <laughs> no grave robbers in this room. I should hope not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I'm making the anthropologist feel funny. I could make mm-hmm. jokes about it because uh, I'm an ethnomusicologist. I'm a cultural anthropologist, so we just get tacked with things like believing the Victorian civilization is the pinnacle of all of humanity, right? Like that's, I mean, it is. That's the skeletons <laughs> we got in our closet is all the weird top ten races, hierarchies, or whatever that folks liked to do in 1890, but... The shape of your skull determines how intelligent you are. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. That was that was the thing that happened. Yeah. <laughs> well. But that does. Trying to leave that behind, please. <laughs> That's cool. We used to call everything. Ethnomusicologists used to call everything the music of the other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, so bad, right? I'm regretting that. Yeah. One, I mean. <laughs> I do think though that you can also make the argument that even with the categorization of ethnomusicology and what it chooses to focus on, right? Like, if ethnomusicology as a study only happens to be focusing on everything that is not Western music, well, that used to be what it was. <laughs> how different, right, is that from? So, there is even if you change names, you also have to maybe reflect on what you're doing as well as what you're calling it. I mean, now I see a lot of ethnomusicology based in gay and lesbian studies. I see it in um, in boy choirs. I see it in rap. I see it in hip-hop, soul, um, Zydeco, uh, the New Orleans, like, jazz. It's, it's everywhere. But yeah, ethnomusicologists used to be this thing where they'd be like, well, we go out into Africa and then we like, you know, we record their drumming patterns or we go up into Canada and we like, you know, listen to these indigenous songs and then we hide them in a vault in uh, Yale. Not calling out Yale, but I'm just saying you guys got a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's a couple institutions both here and, you know, in countries like Great Britain that, yeah. They're about. holding on to some stuff. Um, uh-huh. Or Germany. Yeah. So that's it's always interesting that, um, like I said, anthropology, you know, modern anthropology, no longer studying people's heads. Um, we're, it's such a young... It's It just feels like such a young place. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we're finally getting to a place where it's not like, ooh, you shouldn't say it like that. <laughs> Yeah, we're moving moving on from that, hopefully. So yeah. that does that does That's probably me. the end. Well that oh, leads wait, me quite oh. nicely into my last question, the one that we ask all of our guests and no guest is immune from. Every so guest has to answer this one. We try and make every okay, guest. Okay, I'll hurry, I'll answer it. So what to you, just you, is anthropology? Okay, well I'm not an anthropologist. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um 
I, I really think of anthropology as, as the study of people and cultures, and that's how I equate anthropology because I've worked with a lot of um, cultural anthropologists. So like for me, it's a very present idea. Um, whereas before I got into a lot of the work that I'm doing, um, I think I used to think of anthropology as, you know, people studying cultures of long ago. Um, but for me, like s just studying people and, you know, that makes it weird. Just maybe hanging out with people and getting to know them. <laughs> getting to know you, getting to know all about you. Writing a thesis and getting my MFA. Yeah, um, <laughs> that should be your new. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's our new tune. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's that. Anthropology to me is is uh, the learning of cultures and people, and and really breaking apart your own ideas about what culture is, so that you can actually see people's culture as it is and remove as much of your lens as possible, mm -hmm. um, which is something that I still struggle with. Um, and I hope I always struggle with removing my lens from things. Cause like, um, I said before that, that guy that was working in, uh, you know, in Hawaii, what a great thing to say that it still keeps them awake at night. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I hope, uh, I hope that always keeps me, I hope anthropology always keeps me awake at night. So there. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you. This has been Speaking of Anthropology on KSUA 91.5 FM Fairbanks. Thank you for tuning in. And thank you to my uh, guests. Yeah. That, I'm Kelly Lynch, here. and this is Corbin. Else? <laughs> yes. Alrighty. Okay. Thank you.